Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray your spirit will be with us today, that you'll speak to us, that you'll speak love to our hearts, that we might also show love. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're focusing on five questions. And we started with the first of those five questions, the last two Sabbaths, do you want me here? Now the context of this question is, anyone who comes through these doors, visitor, member, anyone who comes into this place, will be asking that question internally, whether they literally say it out loud or not. They will be asking that question, do you want me here? But that's just the first question I think that they're asking. And we spent two weeks talking about that, and particularly last week, uh, we focused on that question. And one of the things I said to you is, all of you who are here regularly and have reached a point where you're pretty confident we want you here, or maybe it's even a point of arrogance where you don't care, but you're going to be here anyway, whatever it is, you are the older brothers in this scenario. You remember the parable that Jesus tells about the, the younger brother who, who wasted his father's portion and all that the father had left belonged to that older brother. That's really what this church is. It, it belongs to you. But the question is, what will you do with it? How will you use this blessing? Will you be excited when the younger brother comes back? Or will you be angry that the father wasted your stuff on somebody who didn't deserve it? What will, what will your heart be like? And that really leads us into what I want to talk about today, which is the second question, do you love me? So we're going to spend two weeks talking about this question. So anyone who comes in, they start with, do you want me here? And if somehow we can communicate we do, there is another level to it. And that level is, do you love me? Because ironically, it's possible for us to have mixed motives. We might want someone here, but have no intention at all to be loving. Do you love me? Then the third question we'll deal with later on this fall is, is the Lord with you? Anyone that comes into a church ought to be able to ask this question, right? Because we're not just a club. We're established in the name of Jesus Christ. And it is fair for anyone who comes in this room to say, is there a difference between this community and any other group I might join on a Saturday morning? And is that difference the reality that the Lord is with you? Now in the middle of that, so, so September 25, October 2, we'll talk about do you love me. October 9, we'll start on is the Lord with you. But then before we do the second week of that, we're going to have kind of an interlude Sabbath on the 16th where Alicia is going to be in charge that day. And consider this warning because uh, Alicia does not stand for you to just sit there and do nothing. She's not like me. She doesn't just get up and, and rattle on and on and on. You will be involved and your heart will be challenged. 
And you'll be challenged in the context of the three questions we will have dealt with so far. So that's on October 16, and then we'll continue on. Then the, the fourth question, do you have a purpose? And then the last question, is there a place for me in that purpose? So I believe these are the questions that people who come through our doors will ask. And we're working our way through. Today we're starting on, do you love me? And I want to begin in the book of John, chapter 21. So John chapter 21, this is the, the very last chapter of the book of John. And what's taking place here, this is after the resurrection. So we start John chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Now, why is this a significant story? Well, what were all those guys before they met Jesus? What were they? They were fishermen, weren't they? And Jesus came along, and there was this miraculous event that took place where they caught way more fish than they should have, and afterward, Peter makes the statement, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And Jesus says, from now on, you will be a fisher of men. But things haven't gone as they expected. Jesus didn't keep rising in the community until he became the king on the throne. He rose in the community until he became the savior on the cross. And in their mind, that wasn't exactly what was supposed to happen. And now it's after the resurrection, but they're still not clear on exactly what's taken place. So in a sense, Jesus has to start over with them. Because after everything that went on, what do we do now, the disciples say? Jesus says he's going away. He's not with us all the time. What do we do? And Simon Peter, the natural leader, says, I guess we go fishing. And they're like, all right, let's go fishing. So they get in the boat, and they go out, and they fish all night, and they catch nothing. That's what happens when I go fishing, except it doesn't go all night. It goes all afternoon, and I catch nothing. But I get a good exercise. Verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Now this story recounts what had already taken place when Jesus called them in the first place. And in this moment, John, who's in the boat, says, ah, it's the Lord. And the text says, Peter jumped into the water and swam to shore while the others wrestled the net and brought the boat into the shore. It's strangely specific. It says they caught 
153 large fish. It's always a little unusual when the Bible goes to that kind of detail, but that's what it says. They get to the shore, and Jesus is there at the shore, and he has a fire going, and he's already cooking some fish. Doesn't tell us where Jesus got his, but he had some. And he says, get some of your fish, bring it over here, and let's cook it up. So they have a little cookout right there on the shore. And, and the disciples are just kind of staring at him, kind of funny. Because it's like what happened before is happening again. And here is Jesus once more calling them from their life as fishermen to the mission he's going to send them on. But there's an important piece of business that Jesus needs to take care of. So we look at verse 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. It's a fascinating story. It's a fascinating incident that takes place. What's going on here? Well, there's a lot of layers to this. But, but, but perhaps the one we should address first is the reality of the reinstatement of Peter as a leader within the community of the disciples. Because what had just happened not long before, we don't know exactly how long before, but not long before, what had Peter done three times? What did he do? He denied that he even knew Jesus. Three times. And so in the presence of the disciples, Jesus gives him the opportunity to three times acknowledge that he loves him. That was a gracious move on Jesus' part, wasn't it? But there's another piece to this because you can see in the way that Peter answers that each time the question comes, the answer gets deeper. Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, you know I love you. <laughs> Peter, do you love me? Yes, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. See how it gets deeper every time? Peter's reinstated here, and Jesus says to him, remember how I called you when you were a fisherman? Well, I'm calling you again when you're a fisherman. Stop leading the disciples out into the water and start leading them out into the world. Because isn't it interesting? Peter says, I'm going to fish. And they all said, all right, we'll do what you do. 
But now Jesus says, no, I need you to lead them in the mission. Is there a more important question we ever ask than do you love me? Is there a question that matters more to your heart than do you love me? The context of this question has to do with, with Simon and Jesus. And Jesus asking this question of him. But, but really this context could be anyone. Do you hear the voice of Jesus asking you this question? Do you love me? If he asked you that once, you might respond like Peter. Yes, Lord, I love you. But what if he asked you a second time? Do you love me? You'd, you'd reflect him in it, wouldn't you? Well, I mean, yes, I love you. But what if he asked you three times? And the reality of that third question went all the way down into the deepest part of your heart and you looked there, what answer would you give to Jesus? Do you love me? It matters that we love. In fact, Jesus identifies the two greatest commandments in the law. Do you remember this? They come to him and they ask him, what is the greatest commandments in the law? And he says, there are two. What was the first one? Love of the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind. And what was the second? Love your neighbor as yourself. What's the word that appears in both commandments? Love. The greatest commandments. Love God. Love one another. Love God. Love one another. It appears that love matters. First John chapter four. Verses seven and eight. Now, if you're of a certain age, you know this as a song. And I'm gonna take a chance that there's enough of you here that know this as a song. Don't look at the words because that's, that's New International Version and that's not the right words for the song because in the old days we learned all our songs in King James, right? So it goes like this. Do you remember this one? Beloved, let us love one another. Sing with me if you know it. For love is of God and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not Knoweth not God, for God is love. So, beloved, let us love one another. First John 4, 7 and 8. Did they not sing that where you were? Who knew that? Who knew that song and didn't sing loud? All right, you're on my list. Uh, let me read it to you in this version. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. 
Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Kind of, kind of clear, isn't it? Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now there's a lot of different ways to express love. There's that whole discussion on the love languages. I don't know if you've had exposure to that. Uh, the, the, I think there's five, right? Five different love languages. I never quite get these right, so I'm not going to try it. But, but there are different ways that we express love. But we got to be careful here because, because it's possible for us to feel responsibility for and even take steps to look out for, but not actually love. To actually reach a point in our life where we're doing things for others, even as we're loathing them in our hearts. That's a terrible thought, isn't it? I once saw a movie, it was regrettable probably that I watched it, so I won't give you the name of it, but I once saw a movie, but, and there was a scene in it that stuck out to me. And in this movie, there's a, there's a grandfather and a father and a son. And at this point, the, the father is taking his grandfather, uh, his, his father, the, the, yeah, anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, taking his father to, to put him in a home to live in that home. And he's done everything he can to, to make sure that this place will be fine for him. And there's a, there's a young attendant there, like a nurse there, who says to the man, you must really love your father. And his answer is, no, ma'am. And that, that scene is so sad and it stuck with me because here he is acting in responsibility. He's doing what he's supposed to do, but he's got no love in his heart. No, I'm just doing this because I have to. I'm just doing it because it's the right thing. I have no love. I'm cold on the inside. And I think what hurt me about that and what stayed with me about that is because there is so much danger of that in the church. Because we have a long list of the right things to do. Now, it's good to know what to do. A list of things to do is a good thing to have. But when you have put your, your, your sense that my greatest purpose is to do the list then sometimes your heart gets cold. And you may be doing all the right things, but there's no love behind it. It's like the difference between a well-prepared meal set in front of you by someone who doesn't love you compared to maybe a meal with a flaw or two set in front of you by someone who does. Which meal would you rather have? 
Would you rather have perfection with coldness? Or would you rather have less than perfect in a house of love? Which is more important? Love matters. So here's a question I want to ask you. Are you loving and being loved? One of the sad realities that can happen to us in our lives is we can end up isolated. We can end up isolated by being alone. We can even end up being isolated when, when we are perceivably in a family setting. And we have to ask ourselves that question. Am I loving and am I being loved? So some years ago I was, I was pastor of the Marietta Adventist Church. We had a glorious time there. Wonderful community. That's back when Gable was in elementary school. And Ariel was born when we were there. So that's, that's how long ago that was. But we were in this church and... and uh, there was a group of ladies, there were four older ladies, we had two services, they attended the early service, and they, you know, it doesn't sound like an affectionate title, but it actually was within the community, they were referred to as the widows, it sounds kind of not nice, but it wasn't meant that way, they were just four lovely women whose husbands had died, who always sat together in church. And I was always so glad to see them at the end of the service when they came out. And I got in the habit of giving them a hug. You know, the old Christian side hug. You know how that goes. On their way out of church. And one day, one of them, as they were on their way out, said, I look forward to this moment every week. Because this is the only hug I ever get. And I was a little crushed in that moment, not realizing how easily I could have never gotten in that habit, how easily I could have just kept my distance, not realizing that just because the face smiles doesn't mean that this is a person who is in a scenario where they are loving and being loved. Now, if the most important commandments in the law are love the Lord and love one another, and we are a community of believers where anyone who comes through the door will at some point in their heart ask the question, do you love me? Shouldn't it be automatic? that the answer would be yes. And it shouldn't be automatic that of all the places in the world you would go, the place you could count on finding love would be in the church. Isn't it sad that that's not true? Now, I don't know the whole history here, and I don't know your history here, and I don't know the reputation of what has long-term been the reality of this community. 
But uh, a couple weeks from now, on October 9, we're going to have some friends visiting, Lord willing. And if they're here, I'm going to invite one of them to come up here, and, and I'm going to talk to him a little bit about how, in a most unexpected place, they created a church that absolutely said yes to the do you want me here and do you love me questions. And because of that, they never have room for anyone to sit in the church. Because people will come where they're loved. Are you loving and being loved? What does that even mean? Well, I want to start on a text here, and we'll finish it up next week, but I want to start on a, on a passage here, 1 Corinthians 13, that talks about love. We're not going to do all of it today. We're going to do just a little bit of it. And in one sense, we're going to talk about today what's not more important than love. So here we go, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. So based on these three verses that I just read you, when it comes to the realm of the kingdom of God, it looks like love is a pretty important thing, right? Because let's think about this for a second. This first verse refers to if I speak in the tongues of men or angels. Now this is a huge context of 1 Corinthians. There was a lot of things going on in this Corinthian church, including a phenomenon of speaking in tongues. And this was, within the community, had come to be recognized as the presence of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believers. But Paul is saying, even more important than manifestations of the Holy Spirit within the community is love within the community. Now that's a little hard to believe, isn't it? Wouldn't we think it was more important if people were coming in here and we were laying hands on them and being healed? That would seem pretty important. But what Paul is saying here is, yeah, even if you're doing that, if there's not love within the community, you're just a bunch of noise. Love is more important than that. And he goes on. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and I have faith that can move mountains, my word, you're the perfect Adventist. You get all the prophecies, you have all knowledge and understanding, and you can move mountains. You must be perfect. No, afraid not. Actually, if you don't have love, what does it say? You're nothing. You're nothing. All your knowledge of the Bible, all your, all your great faith, if there's not love behind it, it's nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I, I gain nothing. You can't buy your way. There's an interesting question that I think we have to ask ourselves. It happens within the church and it happens within the church as an organization. 
there are a lot of things that we use to decide who should be a leader and who should not be a leader. And, and those are important. We need to acknowledge these things. Leaders should be spirit-filled. There should be manifestation of the spirit in their life. Um, leaders should have knowledge and understanding and faith. Absolutely. Leaders should be generous and they should give. Yes. But usually if we can check those three boxes, we don't worry about the fourth box. What's the fourth box? Love. And the truth is, based on this passage, you'd be better off choosing a person that loves than a person that had everything else but doesn't. How often do we end up with people playing key roles who have tons of skill but no heart? See, the kingdom of God is not like the kingdom of the world. The kingdom of God is built on love, and that is the foundation we must lay. That's what must be deepest in our own hearts. Go down to verse 8. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put, away the child, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Now there's a lot in there that we could unpack, but we don't have time to do that today. The point I want you to get from this is that true Christian maturity is not the point of arriving where you have all the manifestation of the Spirit in you. True Christian maturity is not the point where you can recite all of the prophecies and draw the chart by hand from memory. True Christian maturity is not the point where you're willing to give of your increase. Those are all good things. But the true mark of Christian maturity is when you have a heart of love. You have truly begun to follow Jesus when your heart is filled with love. Love for God, love for one another. So I want you to do something. I want you to take a look around you at the people in this room. Go ahead, turn your head. You gotta turn your head to do it. It, it feels awkward, but I've given you permission. So, so turn around, look at all the, is everybody in here exactly the same? Everybody in here come from the exact same background? Everybody in here understand everything the same way? Yet somehow God has called us into this place. And somehow he has established this community as the people here at this time. How do you feel in your heart about the people around you? Are these the people you love? 
Or are these just the people who show up in the same room at the same time you do? Because, wow, what a missed opportunity, right? If we're all sons and daughters of God and the love of Jesus is in our hearts, what a waste that we're not having glorious relationships. Why would we not? 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. Maybe we don't because we missed something. 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. Maybe the reason that person is so mean is because they don't know they're loved. And until they know they are loved by God, they will never be able to love brothers and sisters. Do you know that you're loved by God? Sometimes the most important points of the day happen in the children's story. I don't know if you paid attention there. But Pastor Jay was right on it, wasn't he? The, the parent bear in the story is, is teaching the child about love. And that love is because the parent has understood the love of God for them. We are able to love when we have come to know we are loved. So I want to give you a little challenge here. I want you to say something with me, and I want you to mean it. And what I want you to say with me is this, I can love because I am loved. I can love because I am loved. Now what are the implications of this? In order to say this in truthfulness, and you're in church, it's not good to lie here. In order to say this in truthfulness, you need to understand that God loves you. And it's not because you speak with the tongues of men and angels. And it's not because you understand all prophecy. And it's not because you gave a lot of money. It's not because you're perfect. Because you're a child of God. He loves you. He sent Jesus to die for you. He desires you to be a part of his kingdom and to live with him forever. You didn't earn it, it's because he loves you. And if you can understand that, then you've opened the door to be able to love one another. So here we go. We're going to say this together. I'll, I'll say it again so you know what it is. I can love because I am loved. Are you ready? Let's say it. I can love because I am loved. Let's do it again. I can love because I am loved. How many times did Jesus make him do it? Three times, right? I can love 
because I am loved. You are loved by the Father. And out of the abundance of that, you can love each other. We are who he says we are. We are children of the King. And he loves us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, make our hearts able to understand what our minds cannot. Give us a sense of peace in our hearts that addresses that empty place, that lonely place, that sad place, that isolated place, because our love for each other is always imperfect. Address our hurt, address our sorrow, address our aloneness right now with the promise that you love us. And if we can know this, then we'll be able to love one another. This is the most important part. Help us to get this right. In Jesus' name, amen.